Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. We are on an extremely rare double midweek off day, but uh, Ben and I are here for you with a Cardinals Off Day. Uh, I'm Ben Godar. As I just mentioned, I'm here as always with my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, uh, even though the Cardinals are... Uh, dragging a little bit as they wind up this stretch of 19 games in 19 days. And for our listeners, just with our schedules, we are recording uh, during the 19th of those games uh, on the evening of May the 30th. uh, So we can get this podcast out to you first thing on the first of back-to-back off days, which is the first time that's happened uh, since we've started doing this podcast, isn't it, Ben? I believe so. And so if Ben and I don't mention um, center fielder Tommy Edmonds four home run game in his multiple uh, diving catches in center field, that that is why we're recording it while the game is in progress. Um, But we will talk about a number of things that have happened during this uh, 19 game stretch, obviously with a stretch that long, it's been quite a while since we've recorded. So there's a lot for us to talk about. Uh, Before we get to that, I do want to mention by popular demand, The original Gourmania t-shirts are back for sale. Those of you that have been listening since last season know uh, last year we uh, created these uh, Gourmania t-shirts to celebrate the promotion of Nolan Gorman. Um, They were a fundraiser. Um, We uh, sold a number of them last year, but uh, boy, they're in even higher demand this year now that Nolan Gorman has become the greatest player on the planet. So uh, we're excited to put those back up for sale. Uh, This season, uh, they are a fundraiser for uh, Cardinals Care, so all profits from the shirts are going to go to a Cardinals care. Um, you can find a link to purchase those. Probably Twitter is the easiest place um, to find those if you go to Cardinals Off Day on uh, Twitter. Um, ben, anything else before we dive into uh, what have we learned? Uh, no, I'm ready when you are and excited to be uh, back recording after almost a three week break, uh, one of our longer stretches of the year. Well, Ben, I feel like I always ask you what you've learned first. So I'm actually going to jump in first and tell you that, you know, what I've learned over the last 19 days is that the uh, the reports of the death of uh, DeWitt Ball, uh, I think they've been greatly exaggerated, Ben, um, because uh, when we recorded 19 days ago, uh, you know, the uh, team was was still in uh, in pretty, uh, pretty rough shape, uh, you know, uh, I believe they were still in last place last time we recorded. Uh, things were dire. Uh, you know, obviously been on quite a quite an upswing here, though, you know, the last few games, as you mentioned, um, you know, uh, things have dipped a little bit. We're going to talk about some of the things that have changed. And so I, I suppose I'm tipping my hand towards that a little bit. But, you know, I don't think there's been really major dramatic, you know, changes. I think uh, more or less, you know, DeWitt Ball just going to do what DeWitt Ball does. And, uh um, you know, here we are, uh, you know, the offense is, is, uh, is hitting and the, you know, the pitching is bad, but the pitching is, is, you know, not bad enough. And so, uh, you know, the, they're, they're winning games and, and most importantly of all, they play in the national league central and the rest of these teams are just absolutely terrible. And so, uh, the Cardinals are, uh, are floating up to the top and the rest of the teams are floating back to the bottom. So, uh, so here we are. So Ben, I think, uh, DeWitt Ball is, is alive and well. I know Ken Rosenthal, uh, during this 19-game stretch, said uh, something about, uh, you know, at the end of the season, the, 
uh, you know, Cardinals are going to win the division by 10 games. Uh, I think some people were kind of shocked by that prediction, but, uh, you know, you know, he said it only slightly tongue in cheek, but, uh, it's not a crazy prediction, Ben. And what I've learned, I think goes, uh, uh, kind of hand in glove uh, to what you learn, uh, Ben, and and but mine's maybe a little bit more about perspective uh, than the reality within the organization, um, and and it's the way that we as fans look at the team. Uh, number one, we are much more aware of the Cardinals than any other organization, and certainly uh, those organizations outside the division. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, or about a week ago, I started looking at the wildcard standings, and um, you know, I made the joke about them transitioning to talking about you know, competition for the last wildcard spot. And you know, the Cardinals are no longer in last place, but they're still eight games below 500, but they're only five games out of the last wildcard spot. And, um, and they're within a stone's throw of it. Now they're going to have to leapfrog over all of these other teams, uh, which is no easy task, but the Cubs are sinking like a stone. You figure Colorado will be doing more of that as well. Um, Cincinnati isn't great and, you know, they're probably going to sink like a stone as well. And so then you've got San Diego, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, New York, San Francisco, and Miami, and they're all in that picture. And none of those teams really strike me as we sit here today as being that good. And in fact, uh, out of those teams that I just listed, Ben, do you know how many of them have a positive run differential? Uh, that feels like the kind of question that I'm going to be surprised by the answer at. So I'm going to say zero. Oh, well, not zero. And this is through May the 29th. But it is only three of those teams have a positive run differential. The Pirates are at zero. The Giants... Uh, are at plus nine, the Cubs plus five, the Cardinals plus six, everyone else uh, of the teams that I just listed are negative. And so this is kind of the new landscape of the expanded postseason where, you know, competitive has a different meaning now. So DeWallet ball is not dead. It just exists in a different competitive balance with everyone else and it's a lower threshold for DeWallet ball to be viable and them to sell the project as quote unquote you know competitive and you should buy tickets and come out and see meaningful baseball in September because hey you know we're only five games out of the last playoff spot and you know what happened with the last team that won the last playoff spot they beat us in the wild card won the pennant and lost a, a pretty competitive world series uh all things considered and so i think something that we need to do as fans is appreciate that the lows are nowhere near as low anymore and the highs really aren't as high either uh during the 162 game slog because you've got you have six 
playoff berths at stake. And if you aren't one of the top two seeds, there's not much difference between those bottom four berths. And so it makes the wallet ball much more appealing to owners because they don't have to spend as much money to be competitive. And I also think, unfortunately for fans, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but I think it's going to have a real impact on the trade deadline as we move forward, because there's going to be fewer sellers. But uh, we'll have an opportunity to kind of talk about that more in depth in response to some of the questions we got. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have things to say about that for sure. So, um, yeah, well, as we uh, and, and as you mentioned, we are, we, uh, are going to get to a number of listener questions uh, later on. Uh, we do have a couple main topics we want to hit on, the first of which actually does have to do with probably the biggest move that the team did make uh, during this 19 game run. And that was um, to, I guess, actually sort of finally make a a move in their rotation that was not based on a, a, an injury. And that was to um, move Matthew Libertor into the rotation and move Steven Matz into the bullpen, even though it, you know, <laughs> started, of course, with this move to a six man uh, rotation and, and Libertor still uh, featuring out of the bullpen briefly, but now at this point, you know, Matt's has, has now pitched out of the bullpen and it, it seems as I, as I sit here that, uh, you know, Libertor is now, you know, going to be, uh, you know, have, have a spot in the rotation, uh, you know, and Matt's is, is for the time being, uh, you know, moved into the bullpen. So uh, Ben, what are your, what are your thoughts going forward? just on that that move and and what you think it it means kind of going forward well i got a little bit curious because uh you know we were rather underwhelmed by the matt signing uh and for new listeners uh we deemed matt's to be dr thunder to marcus stroman's dr pepper you know matt's is the store brand version not as good much cheaper uh, and so DeWitt and Mosaloc aggressively signed him. And the quickness of the signing, uh, and now uh, Matt's performance in relief last year and his overall salary kind of got me to thinking about former Cardinals lefty Andrew Miller. Of course, signed to be a relief pitcher, a proven commodity, although in the decline phase of his career. But you know, he was certainly more of a, of a Dr. Pepper, I guess, maybe near the expiration date or past the expiration date uh, <laughs> when they signed him. Yeah. But Ben, I, I looked up the salaries uh, for Miller on that under that his contract and what Matt's has left. Uh, Miller in, in 2019, the Cardinals paid him 11 million. In 2020, 11.5 million. And the 2021 overall value was $12 million. Steven Matz this year uh, makes 10.5 million. Next year and the year after that, he's slotted to make 12.5 million. And that's per Cots baseball contracts on baseball prospectus. So uh, you'll recall Matz's stint in relief last year, very, very low amount of innings, but he was, he looked, his stuff played up. He looked very good, um, which is one of the reasons I, I think I was optimistic about him when you know assuming he was healthy coming into this season and i think a lot of folks shared that belief but as we look at him now he just doesn't seem to have it as a starter but you look at that salary and he also 
probably isn't cost prohibitive as a reliever either. So it's a move where, you know, it seems to make a lot of sense because uh, I think Matthew Libertor is ready to pitch in the major leagues every fifth day for the rest of this year. And the Cardinals owe it to him uh, with all the work he put in during the offseason and the performance he's had to date in the minor leagues to give him that look. I mean, what do you think? I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, I know I have been, I think both of us to some extent, but I think myself more so, uh, a little critical and a little skeptical of, of, of Libertor. Um, just, um, and largely for me, it was always about his fastball. Um, it was about his, his fastball velocity, the kind of inconsistency about that. And for me, it was kind of just about like the shape of it and also just sort of the, the game plan with his fastball, especially, but just, what was he doing with that fastball and that curve combo? And I just didn't really, um, you know, in, in the stints that we would see him and the, and, and, um, the extent to which I, I had seen him in the minor leagues previous, uh, you know, over these previous seasons, I just, I had some skepticism about, you know, was he developing into, uh, you know, what would be an effective, you know, major leaguer, um, you know, but this season, what he was doing in uh, AAA uh, was looking really promising. Um, and in particular, it was that increased fastball velocity, but even more than just maybe the, the slight increase, because we'd saw him touch these numbers before, but he couldn't maintain them. It's, it's, it's maintaining those numbers. And, and Ben, to me, it's also, you know, I see him really work that, that, hot, that fastball up in the zone and then that curveball fall off the table from there. And that just, I mean, that's just a very classic kind of combination um, that uh, it, it just, it, it looks like a, a much more, uh, you know, major league ready kind of arsenal that he's deploying out there. And when I see him go out there, I see, oh yeah, I believe this guy is, uh, you know, a major league pitcher. Now, I don't believe that this is the, uh, the ace, you know, so to speak. I don't believe that this is, you know, a number one, number two pitcher that's going to come in and, you know, save their season. I think, um, you know, the Zips rest of season projection for Matthew Libertor is a, a 4.11, you know, FIP, which, which is fine. You know, that's, that's, you know, solid back of the rotation number. Um, and that will put him right you know, in the mix with the rest of the back of the rotation guys that make up the Cardinals pitching staff. So I absolutely think he's shown that he should be in the mix there. Um, the fact that he's that he's young, he's still developing. I think you could certainly suggest that he has more potential upside than, you know, the rest of these, you know, kind of old guys that are rolling out there. But I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think we're gonna see him necessarily evolve into more than that. But I'm, I'm really glad that they gave him this opportunity, and I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what he can do with it over the rest of the season. It's, it's really amazing to me uh, how closely linked he still is to Randy Arozarena. And what is also really interesting to me is watching those two players when they changed organizations, the Rays seemed to know exactly what they wanted to do with Randy Rosarena, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there just seems to be a clear upward trajectory to his career since he arrived in Tampa. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some of that, I do wonder if it's, you know, clubhouse culture, 
allowing him to be himself with his uh, personality, which is very fun and flamboyant and all of those things, you know, and then you compare that to the Cardinals who like the poster child of Cardinals baseball is Paul Goldschmidt, um, who is none of those things. He's one of the most boring people in the world, um, but he's good at baseball. Right. And, and then Matthew Liberator lands in the St. Louis organization and it looked like they didn't know what to do with him or didn't have a plan with him. And you touched on that. It's yeah. this, uh, you know, it was, they would be, have him throwing sinkers down in the zone in the, ma- in the majors. Then he'd be down in AAA and he would have a good start where he was throwing heat if he could sustain the velocity up in the zone. And it looked like they didn't know who they wanted Liberator to be. And this year, it just all seems to have snapped into focus for just about everyone. Well, he had that great quote after, I believe it was his first start in St. Louis, right? Where uh, where he, he said, uh, legs feed the wolf. And uh, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't shoot a cannon out of a canoe. And first of all, if he's going to drop those kind of quotes, let's put the mic in front of him just after every game because we need we need more of those. Um, but you know and and that's but that's getting at the the strength building that he did in his lower half this off season and and talking about that's what he did to sustain that velocity so but the thing is sustaining that velocity has been an issue for since he's been in the system so why did it take until this year to do that and he didn't necessarily talk about where that training regiment came from but i strongly get the sense it was at some you know third party facilities you know, he went to, and it was with somebody outside of the Cardinal system, you know, or even if it wasn't at, to your point, Ben, it was not some, you know, clear systematic thing that Cardinals player development had ready for him, because just like essentially everybody else in, you know, the Cardinals player development system, it just seems like they don't know what they're doing. Um, and, and so at, at any rate, it, it took a number of years of this, this guy who, you know, came in as a well-regarded prospect, he floundered for several years until they, they, you know, figured out what hopefully is, uh, a recipe that is going to allow him to be successful. And, you know, listeners know, Ben, we live, you know, in a minor league town and it, it really began to have, he it really kind of started to have a quadruple a vibe to it even even though he's he's not old by any means right but we ha- we have seen a lot of guys come through town you know either on the local team uh or you know who are well regarded prospects from organizations that are visiting mm-hmm. and you know you go see them and it just kind of you don't understand why they are rated as highly as they are when you see them yeah and the way they're going about especially on the pitching side the way they're going about attacking hitters and those types of things and then there are the guys where it it's just immediately clear why they're a top prospect right yeah. and oftentimes you know you're only going on one start you don't know right but a lot of times the guys who just don't maybe seem to understand who they are or what the organization wants them to be or whatever the case may be, you kind of see them maybe find their way to the majors in relief, if at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have to confess that 
and I become more and more skeptical with age of prospects as well. So I'm, I'm kind of a Scrooge when it comes to these types of things. I was starting to wonder uh, if, if he was ever going to find his way. And it turns out, Ben, that someone just needed to tell him that legs feed the wolf a couple years ago. And yeah. Uh, and he would have been fine. Uh, or, and this is the other thing though, as well, right? Like it could be that the last two years are what motivated him yeah. to make those changes. Right. And so it's very hard to know, you know, what was the mental outlook? What were those conversations like? And, and in all fairness, we should recognize that reality as well. Uh, but at any rate, it's really great to see him out there. Uh, maintaining velocity uh, and being aggressive uh, because he looks uh, like a different pitcher. He looks like he has more confidence. That's not to say there are not going to be bumps in the road. Yeah. Uh, there almost certainly will be. Uh, but all in all, he looks like a pitcher, you know, who can be maybe like a number three for this team, uh, which is, which is a good thing. I, I certainly hope so. But yeah, I, I would, very much asterisk this he's he's made two starts so far this season and um yeah the the results were very good in triple a but he was also in his his third trip through triple a and and so you know guys that have are have been there that long do tend to have pretty good results because they're just they're you know they're they're kind of polished for that level sort of starts to you know maybe um you know, make their numbers look look a little better than they, they might be otherwise. Um, so Ben, just real quick, uh, talking um, uh, on the rotation, um, you know, I don't know that any other moves are real imminent there, but I, I think, you know, we did want to just maybe quickly mention uh, Adam Wainwright, who, uh, you know, we, we all love and respect, and I think we all want to see Adam Wainwright get that 200th win. I know I, I certainly do. Um, he may be the last pitcher to ever get 200 wins. I was just looking again the other day at the, you know, current like win leaderboard and it's, he legitimately might be the last pitcher to ever get 200 wins, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was also just looking at, uh, uh, you know, uh, statistics where Steven Matz leads Adam Wainwright. And I'll give you a quick list of those, Ben, uh, fielding independent pitching XFIP, ERA wins above replacement and K percentage. Those are all statistics where Steven Matz leads Adam Wainwright. And I think we can all agree that Steven Matz has not been good. So I think, you know, by just uh, logic, we would have to say that Adam Wainwright has also not been good. Yeah, uh, he hasn't been. And as much as it pains me to say that, I was hoping that um, – the description of him as a, you know, quote unquote, crafty veteran. Uh, I'm sorry, did be... you say cra crafty? Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. I oh, okay. Guess. Okay. I, I, uh, I heard something else, but go on. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I was hoping that that would be sort of out of obligation from the sports writer trope playbook instead of, uh, you know, reality where he doesn't have it. Like it's, it's, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's uh, Vaseline and all sorts of other substances under the Jersey, right? Like it's, it's really got a strong major league feel. Um, and uh, the movie, not, not the, the major league baseball league itself. Um, but I was hoping that he would come out, 
he would be healthy and he would be good. But this looks like the guy who ended last season more than the guy who started last season. Yeah. And it certainly caused her concern in, in my book. Um, and, and one of the fun things that baseball savant has uh, is they give you historical uh, similar pitchers uh, two players and here we're talking about adam wainwright so it's pitchers and based on batted ball profile uh adam wainwright's uh second most similar pitcher is 2021 stephen matz so the cardinals you know they may have just decided they have too much dr thunder in the rotation with wainwright <laughs> and matz so they're, they're moving mats to the bullpen. They're going to let Wainwright fulfill the Dr. Thunder role uh, for the rest of the year. Cause uh, you know, he was the low budget uh, unsexy free agent signing. There's also some sentimentality in there, which for me is also true for Dr. Thunder. There's although although Ben, there. we also, you know, we know that Mo is near the end of his tenure. And I wonder if he is just trying to achieve what has long been his dream, which is to have a rotation of all number five starters whose comps are all each other. I think that's something that <laughs> he has long strove to achieve. He's come very, very close, and this might be the season that he pulls it off. I, you're, you are very right. This, this rotation coming into this season is like the St. Louis Cardinals, only more so, right? Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it really is. Uh, you know, I, I, I've got some Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards vibes about Mo. Like, this is my masterpiece. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not quite the Hap Lester down the stretch rotation from a couple years ago. But well, that's because we haven't hit the trade deadline yet. Ben. Right. Give but the boy, it, some time. Yeah, it it wouldn't surprise me if if we get to that point, you know. Um, but it's uh, it's it's been tough watching Wainwright too, uh, yeah. because. But do you know what the silver lining here, Ben, is? He is coming back off an of injury. Yeah, and we have been here before, where it looks yeah. like it, this is the end of the line, and he has found a way to improve and find his groove i was gonna say if i could insert a gif into a podcast this is where i would put the undertaker sitting up in the coffin (laughs) because we have seen adam wainwright do this so many times and uh here in his final season it would be lovely and and unsurprising to see after something as insignificant as a two-day off day for him to suddenly, you know, put together a two-month run of, of great results and convince us, you know, he's back um, and then to turn into absolute garbage again. But, um, you know, I, I hope we see it. I hope we see a, a run of good results, and I certainly hope we get to that, uh, that 200th win. Uh, ben, shall we move into topic number two? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, we, we did want to just kind of broadly touch on this fact that, uh, you know, since we last recorded, uh, you know, the team really went on a pretty impressive uh, winning streak. And, and, you know, I don't know, uh, we're not just winning, you know, not streak in the sense of the 
you know, uh, big streak they went on a couple of years ago, but just overall a, a run of good form, as they would say in, uh, in soccer. Um, and so I kind of looked back and, uh, um, you know, I thought maybe a good date to peg for it would be uh, May 6th, which was the beginning of a Contreras gate. Um, that was the date that, of course, they announced that, you know, he would uh, only play the outfield and designated hitter now and forever. And then, you know, of course, two hours later, started backtracking on that. But, um, you know, at that point, Ben, the team was 10 and 23. Um, they went uh, about 14 and nine since then. And this is as I compiled that, I think, yesterday. So it's going to be a little off as folks listen to this. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously really turned things around. So, um, you know, I, I'm just kind of curious anything that you think is particularly different since then um, versus just, you know, what's the same. But I'm going to start things off, Ben, and I'm going to tell you the big, you know, one thing that jumps out to me that's that's different, and I have absolutely no idea why, is uh, Jack Flaherty. Do you, have, do you have any explanation for Jack Flaherty at all? Because he is an absolute enigma to me. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the only thing that I can come up with is he likes Heath Ledger's Joker so much uh, that he's gotten caught up in in all of that of just sort of, uh, you know, unleash anarchy and, you know, all of that. So, no, I it's been if you can throw 93 to 95, you throw 93 to 95 miles an hour. Right. Like it's yeah. not a secret. So the whole you, thing you, is you weird. don't you don't play with your velocity, Ben. That's that, that's no, not what, and, that's not what pitching is. And I believe in the art of pitching, uh, Mr. Godar. I mean, I grew up not grew up, but uh, spent a lot of years watching Dave Duncan's stat. Yeah. So uh, the day that uh, Flaherty had that contentious press conference with Derek Gould, uh, his uh, Numbers on that day, up, up through that point, he had a 22% strikeout rate, a 15% walk rate. In the three starts since then, he's basically looked like uh, the old Jack Flaherty. Uh, the the K rate's slightly better. It's up to 25%. The walk rate's down to 9%. I know it's only, uh, it's only three starts, but, uh, you know, uh, he, I said it before he, he's, an enigma to me, Ben, if I really had to pick out a reason for it, I would say that, you know, this is a player that's pitching with a, a, a tear in his labrum. And I think that it's just always going to be there and it's going to affect him differently at different times. And it could just be a matter of, you know, the, the pain subsided um, and whether that was an injection or something, or whether it's just, you know, just the natural variations and how your body feels. And he's just on a run of time right now where he does feel better and he is able to pitch more like himself. He may have these kind of ups and downs for his whole career. Who knows? Um, sometimes I think you and I can be smart and, you know, look at numbers and come up with reasons to understand and predict players. I cannot do that with Jack Flaherty, but I'm very happy that we've seen some better results here over these last 19 games. Yeah, it's been very heartening. And that start against Milwaukee was, you know, the the ideal Jack Flaherty start. I mean, it was a vintage like 2019 start and we haven't seen much of that since the end of that season and so it was very good to see and hopefully whatever he has unlocked he's able uh, to keep 
uh, it up for the remainder of the year because the Cardinals need that type of pitcher very badly. They can't they can't afford to have someone uh, who's you know pitching the way he was. Uh, or really how he has pitched for the, the better part of the last three and a half seasons because it, it has not been good. And, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those weird things because, you know, I'm sure you probably remember. Like last year there was reporting that his stat cast numbers in his minor league rehab stint were, were better than they had been since 2019. Right. Like, and that he looked very good. And then he came up here and he just couldn't hack it. And so it does kind of make me wonder if, if you're onto something there with the ebbs and flows dictated by, you know, how he feels uh, physically. And it will be interesting to see if he can keep it up and how long the Cardinals have patience for him if he's not able to keep it up. Yeah. Um, Ben, what about you? Are there things that you've noticed over this 19 day run that you think are are different and noteworthy? Or do you think it's just kind of, you know, some days the ball bounces one way and some days it bounces the other way? Well, with this team in particular and with the pitching staff, it the ball bounces off of the bat (laughs) and into and and into the field of play. And (laughs) And so the the thing that's been pretty weird, though, is the team was quite the starters in particular were quite bad in March and April. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they they had a four point nine four ERA and and four point eight fielding independent pitching, which is strikeouts, walks, home runs allowed, as well as innings pitched. And it's put on the the ERA scale so we can kind of judge it as good or bad. And, you know, you don't you don't need to be, uh, you know, all that in tune with the team to know that when you're getting close to five as a pitcher, it's bad. Um, And then when you look at them in the month of May, I I didn't get quite into that, uh, the the precision with the, the cutting of dates. But this is just the broad strokes. And I think it drives home the point. They have pitched a little bit better, the starters, but the ERA is still 4.94. The FIP, though, is 4.31, which is about league average, and the XFIP is a little bit worse than league average as well, which is where I would have predicted them to be just overall is a little bit worse than league average. And so, you know, they're still giving up harder contact than you would like to see. What changed is the lineup went on that extremely hot streak it it cooled off when they went to ohio which you know that's easy to understand who wants to go to ohio um but then they they came back now and they you know it's 19 games and 19 days and i don't want to overly buy into excuses but the team is also pretty thin at this point in time with carlson and o'neill out you know you have two infielders starting in the outfield uh for game 19 out of 19 yeah, I and think so, I think if I think if they played a twentieth game, I think we'd, we'd get a Trey Barrera start in the outfield. Ben. Yeah, I yes, think... yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe at first base, or or, yeah. or who knows. Uh, and so, it's uh, it's one of those things where it has tapered off over like about the last week, um, right. the offensive hot streak. But that's the team that I think the front office thought that it had that yeah. they were going to be. They were going to be able to hit their way 
out of trouble that that the rotation might get them into. And then I also think that they thought that they have a pretty good bullpen and that the bullpen would help them lock down games that are close where they have the lead. And I think they thought that those two things would, and if they got, you know, five, six innings from the starters, they'd be good. And they haven't been able to do that because the starters are just, they're just giving up too many runs. And, uh, and so when the offense isn't running on all cylinders, if it's not able to put up four, five, six runs, they're not going to win very many games, three to two, you know, that type of yeah. thing. But, but I think that's exactly the formula. I mean, I think they're executing exactly the the formula at this point. And, um, you know, uh, I, so I took a look and, and and I did use that Contreras gate era as a dividing line. So and again, calling that kind of the before and after. So before that, you had uh, 105 WRC plus. After that, you had a 120 WRC plus. Yep, so that, there you, you, go. you saw a significant jump in the bats there. The the starters before that, the starter fit before that 4.61 after that 4.27. So eh, you went from like crappy to just like mediocre to crappy basically that's you know not not, <laughs> yeah. not, not a you, giant you, <laughs> you went from a d plus to a, a high c minus like exactly right like right good job yes. good job guys uh, yeah exactly and and the reliever fit went from 3.59 to 3.69 the relievers have just been pretty you know consistently consistently good through there right so overall so far just a pitching staff uh, FIP of 4.20, which is 16th, which I think is right exactly where they expected this pitch. Th- that's exactly the quality of a pitching staff that they plan to build. And overall, uh, you've got a, dub- a 111 WRC plus, which is fifth in the major league. And that these are major league wide, both of them. To me, again, back to my point from the beginning of the show, that sounds like DeWallet ball to me. That sounds like they have really built exactly the team that they thought they would build. And, and like you said, I mean, they're they're going to win games where they score, you know, five plus runs because their bullpen's going to come in and lock down a lot of those games. And they're just they're going to lose a lot of games because their starters, a lot of those balls go and play and they're just going to lose them. And, and they're OK with that. And they're you know, again, they're scientifically built in a lab to win 88 games. And I think it looks it's going to look weird to us because so many of the games that they're going to lose this season, they lost in that first month. And I think that's just a weird I think we're going to look back and that's just going to be a weird blip is, is really at this point what my expectation is for this season. Um, I don't see a lot else meaningful in what we've seen so far. Yeah, it's I, I this month, like the month of May, is certainly more reflective of what expectations were and what this team's skill level, their true talent level probably is. And I think the ERA is probably going to come down maybe a little bit as well, to your point. Um, yeah. But it's it's still the the starting pitching when you build it the way that they have, where you don't have swing and miss stuff, they don't have yeah. pitchers who have offerings that can get outs. Yeah. And it's a problem. And it's especially a problem when the ball changes and there's more offense because of that. And I feel like Rob Manfred, whether it's through incompetence or with intentionality, has, you know, kind of 
torpedoed or at least shot a torpedo toward the bow of the wallet ball as the team is constructed this year, because when you move that dial and ratchet up the home runs and the, the way the ball's flying, which it appears that they probably have, we'll wait and see what the studies of game balls show, but just looking at home run rate, you know, when you do that to this team, uh, you know, it hurts and it, it doesn't entirely get made up on the offensive side of things though, over about the last month, it kind of has, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 Well, um, we'll, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. I know early on, I think you and I were more concerned that maybe this was the end of the wallet ball and, and, you know, was, did, did they let their pitching staff get too bad? I know I certainly was. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I, I, I lost faith. I lost faith in the wallet ball, Ben. And, uh, I, I never, I, I never, I never should have, I, I owe Bill DeWitt. No, I don't owe to Bill DeWitt an apology. I don't know. I don't know Bill DeWitt anything. Uh, should we, uh, anything else you wanted to hit on or should we roll into some questions? Uh, let's get to questions. All right. So, um, uh, I think our first, uh, we got three questions here that all kind of relate to, uh, uh, really relate to Steven Matz more or less. So uh, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to read all three of these together, Ben, and then maybe we can kind of address them together. So um, STL batters box uh, asked, why is Matz still on this team? Um, Jeremy uh, Baustian asked, is it time to tweak the Matz nickname? If he goes to the bullpen diet, Dr. Thunder, maybe. And uh, Andrew Schneider uh, asks, assuming Libby stays in the rotation for the remainder of the year, how would you handle the Dr. Thunder situation and our need for both starters and a long relief option? So, Ben, we got three somewhat related Dr. Thunder questions there. How do you want to dive in? Uh, I understand the why is Matt still on the team question. Uh, where it's coming from. I definitely understand the frustration, but he's owed a lot of money and he hasn't been so horrendous that you cut him. You know, this isn't Ryan Franklin uh, levels of bad or, or something like that, right? Like this is, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate couple months, but he's shown skill as a reliever in the past. The team needs you know, some relief innings. So there's potential value there. Um, What do you think, um, you know, with respect to how they should handle it? You know, do they, you know, do they banish him to the bullpen for the rest of the year? Is it a temporary thing? What do you think they'll do? Well, I, I mean, I, I love the point that you made, I think first on Twitter, and then uh, you brought it up earlier in the show and that the comparison to, Andrew Miller and the fact that, um, you know, yes, Steven Matz was signed as a starter. And the, you know, the idea was this guy is going to be in our rotation for the duration of this contract. But if you look at the numbers, they're comparable to what they paid Andrew Miller out of the bullpen. And they're comparable to what a lot of guys make that pitch out of the bullpen. And we've in the brief amount of time that Matz has pitched out of the bullpen, we've seen him be effective out of the bullpen. So I think there's nothing wrong with 
them moving Steven Matz to the bullpen. And, and as you said, a guy that they owe this much money to, I mean, they held on to Brett Cecil through that entire contract. And Brett Cecil was just absolute dead weight. So Steven Matz is here. And I think there's a decent chance that he can be an effective bullpen arm. You know, he's not going to be what they hoped he would be, but they can still get something out of him. So, um, you know, I think he'll be there. I think he'll be in the bullpen. And, and, and if he's an effective left-hander in their bullpen, for $11 million, that's honestly fine. You know, I, I think um, $11 million is not as much as it sounds like on the free agent market, um, you know, to, to folks. Um, so it's it's really not so much. Um, you know, in terms of nickname, I don't know, Diet Dr. Thunder. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's, that's a viable option right there. Although I don't know that we need to besmirch those of us that try to, you know, keep our calories down that are watching our weight. I don't know that we need to be necessarily associated with Steven Matz, but I certainly understand where that's coming from. <laughs> um, ben, any, any thoughts on the, on a oh. nickname change? Well, I like that a lot because it's like innings pitched or calories, right? Like, oh, so there we're, you go. we're, we're getting, like we're getting less of them uh, <laughs> with like the same, angle. with the same mediocre flavor. Uh, I like so. it. Jeremy, I think we might adopt Diet Dr. Thunder. I like it. So, um, <laughs> um, moving along here, uh, we, we have received quite a few questions about kind of, and I would also like to point out the, the calendar is still May. <laughs> so, you know, we have quite a long ways to go. Uh, but folks are looking ahead, and uh, and uh, Greg Maturin asked, uh, assuming the team middles along as it has, playing almost 500 ball, what happens? Do they sell? Is Mo constitutionally capable of selling, especially when it would be a tacit admission of failure? Who would get moved, and what sort of return comes? Um, Sashin. Parikh asks if it seems like no matter how bad the cards play, they never, uh, they will never fully be out of the hunt in the NL, and particularly the Central. What would have to happen for the cards to wave the white flag, commit to the future by trading away assets, and deal with the political fallout? And Ben Wheeler asks, seems like Mosaloc is stepping down from being omnipotent and more people in the org are having to make decisions. How much has Mo's micromanaging weakened this org because no one else is used to responsibility? So I think all of those are kind of intertwined in, you know, kind of where is the team in terms of leadership, who's calling the shots, and what type of decision are they going to make here the rest of the year as the season progresses and the trade deadline nears? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think there's almost no universe where the Cardinals are sellers uh, for a couple reasons. Um, you know, one, we know that their their stated philosophy is to compete every year, so they are just a team that doesn't uh, doesn't really believe in the uh, in the sort of window model that a lot of other organizations do where, you know, this is a window we're competing in. This is a rebuild time period. The Cardinals believe in competing every year. So, so that's one thing that we know, um, you know, again, they're in the national league central. So like, it's just <laughs> with, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for them to imagine being so far out at, uh, 
uh, you know, at the, at the, uh, the trade deadline that they wouldn't, um, you know, uh, you know, make a move to be more competitive. And frankly, I think that's one of the underrated reasons why the Cardinals are always are so competitive because they do believe in competing every season. And then they do make, even though I know fans always are disappointed that they don't make more aggressive moves, they do make moves to be more competitive. And, and even those small moves they make, make them just enough better, you know, that they do tend to be a little better over the second half and they get to that, you know, 88 to 90 win, uh, you know, threshold that, you know, gets them the division or gets them, you know, into that wild card, uh, you know, space there. So I really expect that, you know, in terms of what it would take for them to wave the white flag, boy, you would have had to see something like the way they played over April. You would have really had to see that continue essentially to the trade deadline and, you know, essentially like, uh, you know, a mutiny where nobody was, you know, the, the, the team just completely revolted against, you know, Ollie and massive injuries. And like, it, it would have to be something, I think that, that major where, where it honestly was so bad that it was like, we're going to trade away Goldschmidt, you know, we're going to, yeah. um, like we're, we're, because we're so bad, we're going to cash in that level of value to get better. Um, pretty unlikely. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and then I guess the last question there, you know, how much has Moe's micromanaging weakened this org? You know, I, the, the, and which Ben Wheeler asked, it's an interesting question. And the one thing to me that I, I look at, and again, it's hard to, you know, we're really on the outside looking in, but the, the thing to me that I just cont- am more and more critical of is the organization just looks more and more insular. And it just seems like there's fewer and fewer kind of outside voices, um, you know, that are uh, involved. And I just, I, I just continue to think that's a problem. And I, I think probably to me most noticeably in player development, which looks like an obvious area of weakness. And yet I don't see the organization, you know, uh, bringing in outside expertise in player development to, you know, to bolster that. And I don't see them doing anything as revolutionary as when, uh, Jeff Lunau was brought in, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, when they said, hey, this, you know, you know, we really need to enhance what we're doing analytically here and become leaders in that. That was a real revolutionary moment in the organization. And, you know, and basically they have not done that for almost 20 years now. Yeah, um, it's. It's interesting because I think that the president of baseball operations or the general manager also oftentimes because they're the public face gets a lot of the criticism. Um, but I think the reporting and even the comments from whether, whether it's DeWitt or Mosellock is pretty clear that it's a collaborative effort, for example, in the MLB draft, right? Like Randy Forrest gets a lot of, a lot of credit um, just expressly stated in coverage of the draft, um, coverage of the Montgomery for Bader trade, Gersh lined that up, and you know the brought it back, and then they went and sealed the deal. Which, you know, I want to be clear is how a healthy organization works, right? Like you're all, you know, you have your front office people canvassing for potential deals, and people of a certain level have authorization to flesh that out but you're going to want to bring it back and make sure 
within your organization that you're getting the player or players you want and you're giving up players or that you're comfortable giving up or a player in the case of Harrison Bader. And so I, I don't think that the, uh, I don't think that Mosaloc is the one who is making every decision in this organization. Um, but I do think that, you know, when you look at this transition plan that they seem to indicate was in place over the course of this last contract that he has, uh, that you do kind of wonder wh what is that decision-making pro process right now? Who's driving it? Because, you know, when someone's trying to step away, you know, sometimes they keep their hands on the controls too much or they take them off too much, right? Like, and so who's sort of the force, the driving force around the roster composition of the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals? And I, for the first time in a long time, I, you know, I don't know if I really 100% other than Bill DeWitt, right? Like he sets right. the budget, like, you know, but even then there's wiggle room, right? And so, you know, who, what was the decision-making process on Wilson Contreras and then nothing, right? Like who was the driving force behind that? Or is that just a byproduct of the transition and not wanting to enter into say a three or four year contract that hamstrings your successor who's also in the room with you. And those are all questions that I can't sit here and answer because I'm not in the room and, and you can't either, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So um, we've got a couple questions related to prospects. Uh, Buck Webb asks, was the Libertor for a Rosarina trade worth it? I feel like we are seeing signs of what they hoped for from Libertor. Ben, what do you, what do you think? Well, and we already uh, discussed this uh, quite a bit, um, and I'm going to take this as an opportunity uh, to point out, as I do all too often, that the St. Louis Cardinals played Tommy Edmond in the outfield in 2019 <laughs> over Randy Rosarina. Okay, they made that choice. That is how they assessed the talent and what was best for this organization. I think it's one of the stupidest things that a major league organization has done in probably the last five years, maybe the last 10 years, just beyond stupid. Um, and so it's really indefensible. Uh, but that being said, the Cardinals apparently rated to Tommy Edmond above Randy Arozarena as an outfielder, even though Tommy Edmond was not an outfielder and doesn't have a strong throwing arm uh, and is probably a utility player uh, at his true talent level, as he's shown this year, right? And so they valued Tommy Edmond in 2019 more than Randy Arozarena. And I honestly believe that the St. Louis Cardinals thought that they were getting a bit of a steal when they got Liberator uh, for Arozarena, because I don't think that they accurately assessed Arozarena's potential. And I don't think they accurately assessed Liberator's potential in their organization with its flawed player development. Now, that being said, you know, after the trade, if neither player is traded, what's their trajectory? You know, that's a counterfactual, who knows? Um, but I think right now, the Cardinals are very happy to have Matthew Liberator 
and and perhaps very happy to have Libertor over Randy or Rosarena because they sure need another starting pitcher this year more than they need another outfielder who's not living up to his potential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it, it seems almost certainly, a, uh, you know, that will be the case that, uh, you know, the, if we want to do the winners and losers of a trade that, you know, the Cardinals were losers of that trade, you know, almost certainly, um, you know, that said, I don't know. That's always, uh, I, I think, you know, it, 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 I, that's, it, it's always a little unfair to do that, I think. And you yeah. do always have to go back to like, you know, what did we, you know, what did we know at the time? And at the time, you know, Randy Rosarena was a, a, was a prospect. Um, you know, he had just had a real kind of triple A breakout, right? Um, you're right. They, they brought him up and gave him not nearly enough of a shot at the major league level to, to really have any kind of a sense of was that triple A breakout real so they got no sense of that when they could have and then they traded him at that point now did they need to trade an outfielder well they probably did because if you remember he was part of the yeah you know the whole uh glut of you know bader and o'neill and carlson and you know that whole glut of outfielders there uh they had too many outfielders um so it kind of made sense that they needed to clear somebody out there uh he was the one they chose they probably chose poorly um, almost certainly chose poorly. Um, you know, that said, uh, you know, Randy Rosarina is 28 years old. Matthew Libertor is 23 years old. So, you know, it's, there, there is still time for the ledger to lean somewhat back in the Cardinals direction on this. So, um, you know, I don't think it's a completely done deal, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, they probably will not, you know, it's probably not one that they're going to look back on and say, you know, home run deal for us. Um, yeah. In six years, it's very possible that the Cardinals are the winners of that trade, right? Like it's very possible. Yeah. Um, but it also, to me, and this is the reason, you know, I have John Mosellock in my head, hindsight's 2020, you know, doing all that. But you know, is there much of a reason to believe that a Rosarena could have become the hitter he has become with the Rays with the Cardinals? And I mean, the Rays basically took their offense from last year, which is largely similar, and turned the vast, just a huge number of them into above average hitters. And yeah. I just, I don't see that type of dramatic tinkering. Uh, going on in St. Louis. And it just makes me wonder if, you know, the Cardinals looked at a Rosarena were like batting average on balls and play driven rabbit ball, you know, like we'll flip him for a pitcher. And I can understand that, but I, you know, I, that, that counterfactual of a, a Rosarena becoming this to Randy, a Rosarena with St. Louis, it just, it just seems unlikely to me. Yeah. Well, we will never know. We will never know. No. Um, all right. So DeWallet Inspector asks, who is the Ben's favorite under the radar prospect? By that, I mean a guy who isn't or hasn't been in the top 100 lists. Um, all right. Ben, uh, ta uh, anybody you've got in mind for this? Um, mine, I don't. 
I don't know if I if he's really how under the radar he is. I guess it depends on how you have your radar calibrated, right, Ben? Right. Um, <laughs> it does. So, uh, mine is probably Pedro Pajes. One, he has a wonderful name. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, he is a catcher who's good at defense. And three, he draws walks. Uh, and uh, this year, his uh, second tour uh, with the double a Springfield Cardinals after not performing so well in Memphis last year, he's putting together a a very solid uh, offensive year. And so I think uh, rather than Yvonne Herrera, I think he is probably the heir to Andrew Kisner as the everyday catcher. I mean, excuse me, Wilson Contreras as the everyday catcher. Um, And, uh, you know, I think he could be a serviceable, serviceable bat who is a very good defensive catcher uh, and could be the backstop in St. Louis for, you know, six to 10 years. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, and so, you know, he's someone that I keep an eye on uh, and, and he's one of my favorites. What about you, Ben? Yeah. And I don't, I feel like this is not a very deep cut, um, but I'm going to go with uh, a one bin show, the uh, Korean outfielder. Um, He's far off the top 100 list, but I know he is a a bit of a a fan favorite. Um, For me, the, I guess my excitement level is just that uh, the, the Cardinals have done well in, um, you know, Japan and Korea um, uh, in terms of pitching, just in terms of guys that they've, you know, kind of, uh, you know, scouted and signed there. And, you know, this is one of the first really promising uh, hitters, uh, young hitters that they've, they've signed um, internationally out of there. So that, um, you know, I've, that, that excites me about him. Um, you know, the bat flips are tremendous, um, just seems like a really fun personality. So, you know, I put him up there. Um, I do have to plead on this question, you know, um, you know, when it comes to prospects, I don't go especially deep on prospects. I mean, I really follow the the major league Cardinals. So I, I kind of have a, a degree of like waiting till they drift, you know, reasonably close to looking like they're going to make it to the majors before I, I follow them too closely. So I, I don't know that I, I'm often, you know, one to, to really dig out a really deep one for you. And Ben, I think that's why we often invite Kyle on when we do our real prospect episodes, because his, his knowledge goes so much deeper than ours does on the prospect and, front. And I have to confess, I paid a lot more attention to the lower levels uh, when the Cardinals uh, had a Midwest League affiliate that was in our state. You know, like now, like Peoria is far enough away. I'm not going to Peoria. No offense, Peoria, but I'm just not making that drive. But I could make the drive to Davenport, you know, for a weekend. And I and I can still do that to see Peoria. But it's just there are so many more opportunities to do it when that's their hometown, you know. And so, I mean, I still remember going. And I think in one weekend seeing Colton Wong, Oscar Tavares, and Trevor Rosenthal all in, uh, you know, the same series. And and those are fun things. And, uh, and, and when you go see players, it, it does at the lower levels, it does open up those opportunities for you. Um, But now I'm just a jaded triple a town guy. So I, I, I know that prospect flame out is real. 
Um, and I just, I don't follow the lower levels as closely as I used to say 10, 15 years ago uh, when I had more time on my hands and did a little bit more traveling to watch those teams play. But let's uh, move to our last question, which is very, uh, uh, Dan CardsFan69 wants us to, to gaze at our, our navel a little bit and, <laughs> and speculate on which Cardinals players, coaches, execs do you think listen to the Cardinals Off Day podcast? Oh, Additionally, is there anyone in particular you hope is listening to it? Well, I, my, you know, Ben, my ego is small enough that I don't particularly uh, wish for anyone to listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, I am grateful for all of our listeners who do listen to it and uh, those who have asked us questions and those who interact with us on Twitter. Um, you know, if someone ever tells me that they do not enjoy the show, I say, hey, Good, good job. You know, you do not need to enjoy the show. So uh, in terms of Cardinals uh, coaches or players or execs, boy, I don't know. I don't I don't feel uh, I, I don't think highly enough of my opinions that I feel that they uh, they need to listen. Um, I know uh, I think you and I are are uh, are, are fans and uh, we watch the team pretty closely. We've both been um, writing about the team or now podcasting about the team for gosh, 10 years and you longer than that. And so, um, you know, I think we occasionally say interesting enough things that people continue to read and or listen. And that's enough for me. I don't particularly need any specific individuals to to find it interesting or useful. How about you? I cannot imagine that any of them do. Uh, certainly not the players. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think... Uh, if I were an executive, I would be listening to the the more uh, like mainstream media podcasts that dealt with baseball overall and also the Cardinals to make sure that I had my finger on the pulse of kind of the, you, you know, that type of coverage, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I knew what was being reported out there about us and, and what you know, some of like the Ken Rosenthal's are saying about me or the Derek Goulds, you know, that, that type of thing. That's what I would right. be watching. Um, it, I, I hope that no player listens to any podcast about baseball. <laughs> I, 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 except maybe uh, the, uh, the foul territory one, which is all former players, um, which ju it just seems like baseball bros doing baseball bro stuff. I think that would be up their alley uh, and kind of fun or whatever. Um, but, it, you know, we they certainly have no reason really to listen to us. This is definitely, I think, a very fan-focused uh, podcast. So uh, I'm with you. I, I don't think anyone should listen to us. Uh, if you don't want to, as an executive or a player, I totally understand uh, you know, you're doing this all day for work as well. And I don't know about you, Ben, but you know, I listen to podcasts usually when I'm driving to and from work, I don't mm -hmm. listen to podcasts about what I do for work. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, right. I feel like if, if I were spending as much time every day dealing with St. Louis Cardinals baseball operations as 
uh, an executive, a coach, a manager, a player, what have you, right? Like, I don't think I would be seeking out fan podcasts about the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, that's a good point. I mean, you know, like what are the most popular podcasts? You know, they're murder podcasts, (laughs) you know. Only, you know, probably 40% of the people listening to those are actually doing murders. So. Yes, yes. yes. It's uh, it, only murders in the building is what I would be listening to yeah. if, so. if I were in that category of, of potential listeners. Yeah. So anyway, we're grateful for all of the fans who listen to us. If there are any execs listening to us, you know, feel free to, uh, you know, DM us with any, um, you know, uh, inside information on trades or anything like that. Um, we won't actually share it with anyone until the next off day. So we'll be an extremely inefficient way for you to, <laughs> to, to leak that information. But well, Ben and I would still like to know early. So, yeah, uh, you know, anyone who used to who used to be a source when we were at Vivalberto's, if you want to if you want to continue being a source, yeah, send yeah, us a DM. It hit us up again so um all right well ben uh we've been going uh for a while here i think we should uh wind things down so uh what are you going to be looking for uh i am very interested in seeing how the cardinals come out of the the two day off day. It's almost like a weekend for the Cardinals, right? Like <laughs> they get two days off in a row. Um, I'm interested to see what roster changes they make, you know, uh, first and foremost among them, Lars Newtbar may or may not be injured. They wanted to give him additional time off before making a decision. Uh, Jordan Walker is heating up in triple a, uh, you know, here on on May 30th, they started two middle infielders in the outfield. So it sure seems like they could use someone like a Jordan Walker in the outfield. Um, and then, you know, Carlson and O'Neill, where are they going to be in terms of their proximity to returning to the big league roster? And so how are they going to navigate that? And uh, will they make any roster changes? That's that's what I'm going to be watching. Well, Ben, this shows once again that we really should pregame all of these topics a little more before we start, because um, that's exactly what I was going to be looking for is uh, I had outfield written down here um, (laughs) and pretty much the exact same points. Um, You know, I think they've really just kicked the can down on making any kind of a decision about what they're doing with their outfield to the point of absurdity at this point. And, And I think... Uh, you know, the the Brendan Donovan, Tommy Edmond outfield is is officially the point of absurdity. And, you know, earlier in the show, I said, you know, Trey Barrera would be starting in the outfield tomorrow. And I think the fact that that is not as crazy as it sounds is really speaks to just kind of where we're at there. So, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, Tyler O'Neill is you know, is he hurt? Is he doing a uh, operation shutdown? I mean, I don't know what's going on there at this point, but you know, something needs to move on that front. Um, as you said, you know, Jordan Walker, it seems like he's, you know, he's hitting in, in, in Memphis. It, it, it's not clear what the, 
it's not clear what the plan is there, right? Is it about seeing defensive improvement? Is it really about hitting? What is the plan to, you know, to do with him? Um, you know, what, what's the spot going to be for him there? Um, you know, and then honestly, back to Trey Barrera, what is Trey Barrera doing on this roster? Like, uh, you know, what on earth is he doing, you know, taking yeah. up a spot there? I mean, it's the last guy on the roster, so it's not that big a deal, but like, even so, like, what are you, what are you doing there? Um, some just some roster decisions need to be made. And I think they all really revolve around that outfield and just kind of, you know, making some, just honestly making some decisions and not just kind of, you know, hemming and hawing and, and, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, juggling these pieces, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, moving them around and, and just, you know, almost waiting for something to materialize. Yeah. But also, you know, to your point, it's yeah it's it's the last spot on the roster but you're starting two middle infielders in the outfield yeah you know like yes. and you're in a position where you can't really afford to give away any games for the rest of the year mm-hmm. with a you know tony larusa getaway day type lineup you know right. yeah and so yeah it is the last spot but if Jordan Walker can help you win a game against the Royals in May, you need to win that game, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and so you need to put your team in the best position to succeed and carrying this many catchers is not doing that. And I think the line, some of the more recent lineups show that, Yeah, you know, if you, well, if and- you have, you know, that type of Lars Newbar situation where is he injured or not, we don't know. That's where you hamstring yourself because really now Lars Newtbar is the last roster spot that doesn't matter because yeah. he's maybe injured and that moves, you know, right. your third string catcher up a spot. Yeah. And so that's, that's where you hurt yourself. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I'm not at all a believer in the, the Luke and Baker breakout uh, in any real way, but if you're going to have just a totally dead roster spot up there, why not take a guy like Luke and Baker, who's having probably the peak of his career and bring him up into a spot that is literally just going to be an occasional pinch hitting spot. Give the guy his, give the guy his cup of coffee. You're going to DFA him in a brief amount of time when you're done with that anyway, but Hey, you know what you might, you know, that that's a guy who might get a couple valuable pinch hitting at bats out of you, you know, might, you know, hit a, an eighth inning, you know, pinch hit home run for you that, you know, steals you a game or two over the, you know, three weeks that he's on your roster. I'm just saying like, I can, I can speculate and imagine a tiny bit of value out of that. There is no value at all out of Trey Barrera as a third catcher. No, none, none whatsoever. So, and it's, it's silly. The whole thing is silly. And I, the, the fact that they're keeping him on the roster, I feel like they need to be interrogated a little bit about this because it's gone on quite long. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, like a month. I, yeah. w- what are we doing here? Well, what if what if another team claims them off of wa- waivers? Then you'll just have to go out there and sign one of the fifty other Trey Barreras that are floating around out there. <laughs> you know, What's, like, what, you've got Austin Romine's number, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think. Do they, do they have phone numbers in the hills of Idaho? I don't know. Ben, I'll have to. <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to check on that. So, um, all right, Ben, do you have an off day recommendation for folks? Um, my, 
uh, off-day recommendation. Uh, there was a really, really good post on Baseball Prospectus uh, earlier today, and um, it had to do with um, like hitter swing choices, and you know how are they making those choices? And it's by uh, Robert or uh, who is a writer there um, for Baseball Prospectus. And it was sort of through the prism of Ezekiel Duran. Um, it's on Baseball Prospectus. It's really good. I also want to share Robert Orr's Twitter handle, which is at not the Bobby Orr, uh, which I really appreciate. <laughs> um, uh, but the, I thought that was a really interesting uh, post, and it really – uh, got me to thinking, uh, and I think it might get you to thinking as well. And I recommend checking it out. Nice. Very nice. Uh, so my off day recommendation, I am actually going to recommend another Cardinals podcast. This is the, there is crying in baseball podcast. It uh, just launched. Um, uh, one of the hosts is a friend of the off day pod, Sarah Ann. Um, they, they actually just had their first full episode last week, although I believe there will actually be another new episode up the same day this podcast is is out. So you can go um, check that out. Um, uh, ben, I don't know if you've noticed this, but most uh, baseball podcasts are uh, two dudes talking about baseball, and we don't really do a whole lot to uh, move the needle on that. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, one of the uh, nice things about this podcast, it's uh, uh, three women hosts, um, even just in the first episode, uh, had a number of really fun segments. Uh, the rally drink of the week was my particular favorite segment that yes, they did. Very good. As the, uh, former writer of the, uh, cooking with the Cardinals segment that I would do in the off season, always, a, always a good fan of a, of a, uh, a Cardinals or just baseball related recipe. So, well, I know you're often making me 1985 St. Louis Cardinals mixed drinks. Uh, when uh, I come to your house, so this is so up your alley. It's it's ridiculous. It's almost like they focus grouped it for you. That's true. That's true. We have we have enjoyed uh, 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 Bob Forsh's uh, poolside libation. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. So, um, but uh, no, but that segment was really good, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So anyway, I would definitely recommend folks uh, check that podcast out. Uh, ben, anything else for the good of the group before we wrap it up? No, uh, enjoy the nice weather, hopefully, that you'll have in your area. It's been pretty nice here because there's going to be two days uh, without baseball to watch on the television. You can get out uh, and enjoy the weather. Absolutely. So, yeah, we will. This, this episode is going to have to span both off days. We are not going to do a fresh off day on the second off day. So, um, uh, anyway, uh, but hope you uh, enjoy both off days. We will be back with you on the next uh, Cardinals off day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.